Hey everybody, this is Round 6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight, with me, your boy, Noah Petrie. I know, I know what you're thinking, another MMA podcast. I know, there's a lot of us out there, but if you like bold, unapologetic hot takes, a detailed, broken down view of the fight game, and of course, stomach-hurting comedy, well, come to the right place. What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Noah Petrie. This is our sixth MMA talk. This is actually the first ever, ever, ever episode that I'm ever doing. So this will be dropping every Monday. Granted, this is going to be dropping on a Wednesday, so I know not necessarily accurate. But going forward, we're going to be dropping this thing on a Monday. So what this is, obviously isn't a fucking name, it is an MMA podcast. So we'll be going over all aspects of MMA, not just the UFC, but Bellator, one championship, uh, Risen, if I'm able to see Risen, because you know, being able to see that promotion is kind of dicey at times, it's kind of hard to do, but going over all aspects of MMA, from the fighting, to the stuff that's happening in MMA news and drama, to the fights that are happening, you know, in the future or in the near future and i want to give you guys a quick breakdown of the show and how the show will be working and operating before i get into the show itself so basically in the very beginning of the show i'm just going to be going over the fights that happened the last current week so if it was a ufc card i'll be going over that if it was a belter card one championship card going over most most of the time the main card going over the main fights that happened after that, we'll be going into MMA news and drama. So getting into the all the news, all the fight announcements, all the drama that's happening in MMA sphere. There's a lot of dramas. Why I included it? It's basically a soap opera. The sport is kind of crazy. Um, then I'll be going over the fights that are happening. So if it's another UFC card, Bellator card, you know, UFC pay per view, one championship, etc. Going over that. Giving my predictions of who I'm gonna who's gonna win that fight and why. I'm not gonna be going over the entire fight card because dude, I'll be here all fucking day trying to break down, you know, hours of material from each fighter. It would just be too much. So I'll just be getting over my educated opinion of who's gonna win the fight, why they're gonna win the fight. And if I'm right, I'm right. If I eat shit, then I'll tell you the next week that I ate shit and I was completely wrong. So that's basically the breakdown of the show. But before I jump into it, I want to give you guys just some quick tips of what to expect from week-to-week licenses. One, I'm a very outspoken dude, right? So not a lot of people are going to like me. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to say some shit that a lot of you may or may not like. And it it just is what it is. I'm a very outspoken dude, like I said beforehand. Um, can't be a bit on the charismatic side. I'm going to be giving hot takes. I'm going to be giving my opinion. And I'm going to be as fair and as, you know, least judgmental as possible. I don't want to insult anyone or, you know, rougher anyone's feathers is not the point of this. The point is just to give objective criticism to fighters or something that I think that is happening in MMA sphere. So I'm never going to bullshit anyone or, you know, just go with the flow where everyone else is doing within the community. Usually I tend to, you know, play devil's advocate in a way. So you will see me doing that often. Um, if it annoys you, it is what it is. Another thing that you probably know by now, I curse a lot. It's just who I am, it's what I do, it's how I operate. That's 
never going to change, to be honest with you. Now, if you can get over me cursing often, then perfectly fine. We're going to have no problems here. If you're, you know, like a fucking pastor or something, then you, you're going to have, you know, problems uh, hearing me curse all the time. So, and another thing, I live in New York City, which is the loudest city in the fucking world. So you might hear some background noise from time to time. Granted, I do my absolute best to eliminate all background noise. Because the last thing you want is me really getting into it and you hear someone with a taxi horn just fucking blaring it out. So I do my absolute best to get rid of it as much as possible. Granted, you might hear one or two slip through the cracks, you know, like a taxi or someone blasting for a thong or someone tweaking outside. It's a lot of tweakers here, a lot of crackheads. So I do my best to record later at night so that, you know, I minimize that as much as humanly possible. I do all the editing myself, try to take all that out. There will be a few times where you might hear it here and there. So best I can say is overlook it. We're going to get to a point where we're going to soundproof this bitch. We can't even hear a pin drop, nothing but my voice. So until we get there, you might hear some background noise from time to time. So that's a quick breakdown of the show. Of course, the reason why it's called R6 is round six. There's only five rounds in MMA. And B being the six rounds, a little play there. Um, the fight after the fight, because obviously I'm <laughs> going to hear me after the fight. So I just wanted to break down the names in case anyone was confused there. So let's get into it. So we had UFC Fight Night, Cheeto Vera versus Rob Font, right? And I've, I want to dive really deep into this. Now, Cheeto did, I think this is Cheeto's by far his most impressive display, most impressive victory, to be honest with you. Um, I think it's the first time he ever went five rounds too. Against someone who is number five ranked opponent, Rob Font, who is known for his, his striking prowess, more so on the boxing side. He's a stand-up guy. So he did an excellent job in this fight. But there's a few things, a few misconceptions that I see running a rampant in the MMA community that I want to address. So I'm, I'm going to give a quick breakdown of the fight. So within the first round, Rob Font, who is someone who is a striker, mainly a boxer. He comes from that the you know that Boston area where within that fight camp, I forgot that the gym's called. I think they called they called themselves the Winterfell Games, something like that. Anyway, so within that, you know, that fight camp, they're mostly boxers there, right? That's what they're known for. So he has tremendous boxing. He was lighting Cheeto up on the feet for that first round. He was hitting him with some really good combinations. His utilizing the jab very well. If Rob Font is pushing the pace, you're going to have a hard time. Even if you could take his shots, you're going to get lit up on the feet. If you're letting him dictate the base, dictate the momentum, and just, you know, having him parry off the jab. So he did an excellent job in round one. Round two also did an excellent job up until the last minute of the fight where Cheeto Vera was able to land a very clean shot, put Rob Font down, did some ground to pound. Some referees would have possibly ended that fight right there. Um, they let the fight, you know, play out and continue. Basically, Rob Font was saved by the bell. Now, the third round, Rob Font came out hot. He won, you know, three, four minutes of that round to the exact same thing happened again. Chido Vera landed a very clean shot, was able to put Rob Font down, shake him to his knees, literally. 
um, Brawl Disney, sorry, and was able to win that round. Now, as I'm saying that, right, it's not that Cheeto Vera wasn't doing anything the entire time. You know, it wasn't he was getting lit up the entire time and not doing any offense himself. Obviously, he was doing offense. Offensively, he is far more well-rounded than Rob Font. Cheeto utilizes leg kicks very often. Great leg kick game. Body shots, kicks to the head. His striking is very well. Granted, he was getting hit a lot by Rob Font. But the thing is, Cheeto did a very good job covering up not having any of Rob's shots land cleanly except for the shots, to the hooks to the body. And he does a good job at doing that. Granted, I would like to see him improve that defense a little bit more when it comes to, you know, him fighting someone who is a little bit heavier handed than Rob Font. But for the most part, he did a good job covering up and making sure that his, the shots weren't, you know, landing too cleanly on top of giving up his own offense and switching it up. So that's how the entire fight played out for the most part. It was Rob Font, effective boxing for three, four minutes of the round, landing by far the most volume. Then Cheeto Vera putting it on him, landing a big clean strike, putting Ralph down, and was able to nearly put him away in almost every single round. And, you know, Cheeto Vera obviously gets the victory at the end um, and is the number five ranked bantamweight in the world right now for the UFC. Now, what I want to go over as far as misconceptions wise, here's my issue, right? A lot of people are saying the Cheeto Vera evolution. The evolution of Cheeto Vera. I didn't see anything that would lead me to believe that there was an evolution to his game. I'm going to be honest with you. We knew Cheeto Vera had great striking before this. We knew that he had very well well striking before this. We knew that, you know, he, he, he packs a punch and he's able to put opponents down if he wants to. We know they had great cardio. Granted, this was his first five-round fight, but we know he never had an issue with cardio. So what exactly did we see that's the evolution of Cheeto Vera? I, I, I can't pinpoint to anything, you know, exactly that I say he evolutionized his game then. I don't see it. You know, and it's not a bad thing at all. He's a very well-rounded fighter. For instance, we know what Cheeto Vera's weakness is as of right now. It's been exposed. His weakness is grappling. He has a very hard time with grapplers, with wrestlers. I think Rafan was able to land two takedowns in the fight. He wasn't able to hold Cheeto down, but he was able to land takedowns. So, and Rafan is not known for his his, his grappling or his wrestling at all. The man's, a stand, the man's a boxer, through and through. So, having someone with a primarily wrestling to grappling background would give Cheeto a very tough time. And we've seen this. We've seen this in the Aldo fight. What Aldo did... Uh, granted, it was a three-round fight, but Aldo was able to dictate the entire fight through grappling. And Aldo is not necessarily known for his grappling either. He was able to effectively grapple Cheeto Vera and disarm him with all his, his striking for three whole rounds. It got to the point where, at the, I believe, at the end of the second or at the end of the third, Cheeto Vera was complaining because Jose Aldo was grappling, bro, it's on you. You got to be able to defend it and break out of it. But we've seen Cheeto, you know, have a chink in his armor regarding that specific skill set. We've seen it in the Frank Yeager fight. Frank Yeager is winning that fight up until he wasn't. 
I would say when he got front kicked in the face, he was winning the fight. He was doing fairly well as far as utilizing his wrestling. So if Cheeto Vera showed us that he was able to improve in that department, his wrestling defense, his grappling defense, then I could say we've seen the evolution of Cheeto Vera. But we have we didn't see anything new, so I can't say we've seen the evolution of Cheeto when everything we've seen so far is what we've already been seeing. And again, it's not a bad thing. It's just a weird thing that I've seen being thrown around the community right now. Very odd. But he is currently ranked number five, deservingly so, and is only going up from here. He called out Jose Aldo again, said, I want to fight him again. People call him Jose. I don't know why they call him Jose. It's not the name. Anyway, so he called out Jose Aldo again. He wants to do a five-round fight. We all know Jose Aldo has a problem gas tank-wise. Dana White saying himself, Jose Aldo is the greatest fighter alive that first round. But after that, his gas tank is going to start depleting. So we know what his weakness is regarding that department. And Cheeto Vera was able to maintain an insane pace throughout the entire fight. So it would be interesting to see in a five-round fight how well Cheeto would perform and see if there was a major difference in that first fight to the second fight. But listen, as far as what I'm seeing skill set-wise, dude, I don't see him being anyone above ranking him in that top five. You have, I'm going a, I'm to a start from the champion going downwards. Aljamain Sterling, right? I don't think Cheeto right now could be Aljamain Sterling. I think Cheeto could give Aljamain problems on the feet. I don't think Cheeto can stop Aljamain's takedowns, though, or, you know, be able to stop his back control. I don't think that's the case at all. I think Aljamain would fairly thoroughly dominate that fight. On top of that, now we have Peter Yan. I don't see... I don't see Cheeto beating Peter Yan either, we're going to be honest with you. Peter Yan has very effective striking. I would say, you could argue, basically better than... Cheeto Veras. On top of that, Peter Yan is also another person who comes on late during the fight. So he's a slow starter. He comes on late during the fight the same way Cheeto Vera is. I would say Peter Yan has does it better because we've seen Peter Yan do it at a higher level. And then you have the wrestling aspect to it. Peter Yan is a, is a fucking tremendous wrestler. More so as far as scrambling-wise, defensive wrestling, but still an amazing wrestler. He could utilize that wrestling game very easy if he wanted to. Especially someone who we've seen that doesn't have the best takedown defense or grappling defense. So I don't see him being Piotr Jan either. Uh, TJ Dillashaw. I do think Cheeto can give Dillashaw some problems on the feet. But again, the wrestling comes into play. I I don't know if... I don't see Cheeto being able to, to stop... Dillashaw's takedowns at will. And then we have Corey Sanhagen. That would be a completely stand that would be a stand-up fight, obviously. Um, both men are not wrestlers at all. But I don't know if Cheeto is skill set wise can beat uh Corey Sanhagen. I don't see it. I just don't see it. Granted, I'm not saying these guys would completely obliterate Cheeto Vera. That's not the case at all. That's not what I'm saying at all. Cheeto Vera will give a it will be a hard challenge for any of those men. But what I'm saying is I wouldn't have Cheeto be the favorite to fight any of them. But then again, you're ranked number five and is only up from here. His issue is gonna be his grappling. 
And I guarantee you we're going to see this time and time and time again. We're going to see it be exposed. But I might be a little too critical of Cheeto because honestly, I'm really not that big of a fan of the guy. Not that he, I'm not, he's a great fighter. Through and through, great fighter. The man's an immigrant, came from Ecuador. It's the number five rank in the UFC right now. Nothing but respect for the man. What I don't necessarily like about him is that, dude, he can be a dick at times. He really can. I alluded to the, you know, the Jose Aldo incident that he was complaining to Jose Aldo that, you know, Aldo was grappling him and, and that kind of stuff. Bro, it's up to you to defend that. Why are you grappling with someone who, yeah, why are you complaining to someone who is, you know, dominating you in the fight because it's not the way you want to fight? Doesn't make any sense. And on top of it, Frank Yeager, he just flipped off Frank Yeager for no reason in that fight. Like, Frank Yeager's a fucking one of the nicest guys in the world. Granted, he's from Jersey. Jersey fucking sucks, but Frankie never talk shit about anyone, man. He's a nice guy. He just flipped off Frankie. I'm like, yo, what the fuck is this guy's problem? Why is he flipping off Frankie? Um, and even in, in the font fight, he was being kind of a dick sometimes there, too. And I know his mindset, because I've, I've seen the Joe Rogan interview, and he talks about, oh, you know... Uh, is my family against their family, that kind of stuff. I get it. I think that's bullshit, to be honest with you. I think it's just fighters finding a way to dislike their opponent or to hype them up for the fight. But that's not your family against their family. That's not the case at all. So I don't know. I just, I, I, I understand that he tries to get mean for the fight. And, you know, you're literally going out there to hurt, you put a hurting on your opponent. So some people just have to get mean for it. And I get it. But uh, I think it's kind of a dick move, man, personally. Um, if someone talks shit to you, of course, dude, you can be a dick to them all you want. But to someone who, you know, Jose Aldo, the fucking nicest dude in the world. Frank Yeager, nicest dude in the world. Rob Font, not a bad dude. And just be a dick to them, like, uh, I don't know, it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. But that's what we have going forward. As far as Rob Font-wise... I don't know what's next for him. One, I think his orbital is broken. The right side of his face, that orbital bone was swollen. It literally looked like a golf ball on top of his orbital. It's most likely broken. He was pretty beat up during that fight. He should take a long time off. I want to say at least nine months to a year. Somewhere around there. The same thing that Calvin Cater did. Um, but here's the thing, right? There's a lot of debate in the MMA community. Should that fight have been stopped or not? I don't think it's that black and white when in regards to this fight. Granted, within the MMA community, we all know the judges and sometimes the referees, they they can do a bad job. I mean, I said the judges, sorry about that. The referees in the corner, the coaches of the fighters, especially the coaches, dude, they can do a fucking horrific job of throwing in a towel. For, for the referees, there's times where they delay the fight and let the, the fighter take a little bit more punishment than they should for no reason. And for the corners of the fighters, bro, they never throw in a towel. Throwing in a towel in MMA is non-existent. Literally non-existent. I can't remember the last time I... The last time I recall seeing it was GSP BJ Penn 2. That's literally the last time I can personally recall seeing it. And that was like fucking a million years ago. That was easily over 10 years ago, 9, 10 years ago, even more, somewhere around there. And there's multiple instances that we had in the sport already 
where the towel should have been thrown and it wasn't thrown. For instance, this particular corner, this particular the fight group, the Winterfell gang, I believe that's what they're called. I could be entirely wrong. Don't quote me on it. But that specific group, right, that camp, they had an issue in the Calvin Cater fight, which is Rob Font's main training partner and vice versa. Calvin Cater was getting beat down by uh, Max Holloway for four rounds. Literally did not win one second of the fight. They refused to throw the towel in. It, it, it came to Herb Dean stepping up and finally calling the fight where it should have been called a whole round before. And when it comes to this fight, granted, this fight has a little bit more gray area because Rob Font, granted, he would get almost finished towards the end of the rounds, but he would just go back in there and win, you know, three, four minutes of that round up until the very end. And it just repeatedly happened. But the thing is, every time he got dropped and rocked bad, it wasn't good, man. If you're if you see your fighter get dropped at the end of the rounds, you know, two, three times in a row, bro. Rob Font probably shouldn't have went out there that fifth round. I'm gonna be honest with you. I think if the towel were thrown that fifth round, or the the referee stopped the fight at that fifth round before the fifth, I don't think there would have been too many objections to it. But that's the thing. We're never gonna see these corners throwing the towel, man. We're never going to see it. We're never going to see it. could be fighters who are literally begging in between rounds. Yo, I don't want to do this anymore. And their corner is still going to try to convince them to fight. We've, I've literally seen that twice already. I've seen it twice. And granted, their argument is, I know your fire, I know their fighters. I know what their weakness is. I know, you know, their, their mental game, their mindset, etc. Which is true. But it, it just goes to show you, you know. In regards to MMA, the corners will never throw in a fucking towel. But I want to get into the Orlowski and Collier fight. So a lot of people are claiming robbery for this fight. Um, As far as the rest of the card, the rest of the card wasn't too bad. It wasn't that exciting. So I'm only going to go over the Orlowski fight. Then I'm going to be moving forward after this. So Orlowski against Collier. Orlowski is coming off what, a five-fight win streak. Before I get, Before I even get into the fight at all, during the broadcast, Bisman says something that was really, really good. And Arlovsky is known as a guy who has chin issues, which means that he gets knocked out fairly easily. That if you give him if you hit him with a clean shot, he's going out. Which for years this was the case. The man has been fighting for 20 fucking years. I want to say maybe even more. So he's been in the game a ridiculously long time. <laughs> Too long, if you ask me. Too long by most people's standards. But uh, he's on a win streak. And honestly, he's taken some big shots late recently in these last couple fights. Bro, he just keeps on going, man. He takes the shots. He doesn't even seem wobble. Doesn't even seem rocked. And he keeps on going. I, you can, it's, not, it's not doing Arlovsky justice anymore to say that he has chin issues. Because in reality, we see him take these shots recently. In an older age, far past his prom, he, st- he still keeps at it and keeps going. So nothing, dude, nothing but respect for him. I think he has the most wins in MMA history right now. I think it's at, what, 24, 25, 23, somewhere around there. Somewhere within that vicinity or number. But for the fight, I personally, the f- first time watching it, I had Collier winning. 
I had Collier winning the first and I had Collier winning the third. That's what I had. Now, every time there's a close fight, you have to watch it again. You should watch it two, three times. Every time there's a close fight and someone claims robbery, which literally happens every other week in MMA, it's kind of ridiculous because fucking, at times it's right and justified because the judging MMA is horrible. I'm not even going to get into that now. But every time there's a close fight, you want to watch it two, three times just to see, just to make sure if it was an actual robbery or not. So the first time watching, I had Collier winning, right? Second time around watching it, I had Arlovsky winning. I'm going to go over why. I had Arlovsky losing the first round. I think in most people's eyes, or in the judges' eyes, that was the case too. I had Arlovsky winning the second round. Arlovsky did a very, very, very good job getting out of the way to Collier's big shots and able to, you know, parry with the jab and do a lot of good counter-striking. Within that second round, basically, uh, Collier had nothing for Arlovsky. I could see he was kind of getting frustrated because he wasn't able to to truly land on Arlovsky that much. Granted, they did have a huge issue bumping heads is because both men would come forward with the heads down. So Arlovsky would throw a punch, parry out of the way, but would do it with his head coming in and every time Collier threw, he threw with his head coming in and they kept fucking clashing heads. It happened like, you know, five, six times. It's fucking ridiculous. You can't pull a, you know, you can't take a point or do anything about it for the most part because it was both men doing it. It wasn't, you know, one particular person just, you know, leading with his head. Both guys were leading with their heads every single time and it was a constant head clash. Which I'm surprised none of them got cut up because of it. But within that, so Collier won the first one. I think Orlowski won the second one. For the most part, it's round three that gets dicey, right? Because Orlowski was clearly winning round three. I think Orlowski in round three was landing the better shots, was getting out of the way to Collier shots, and was somewhat of a repeat of round two. What changed was at the very end of the round. I believe Collier dropped him. Briefly, Orlowski was able to get back up, and that's when people believe that Collier won the round. Granted, I do think it's a big misconception, and bro, if you're thoroughly getting dominated in a tight round, but you drop your opponent late in the round, I don't think that necessarily warrants you to winning the round. Granted, it's the most significant strike of the round, and it definitely counts, and it is, you know, is major. I'm not downplaying it, but you can't, you know, be thoroughly beaten for an entire round, land a big significant strike, drop your opponent, and then now uh, you're just expected to win the round. Uh, and within the MMA community, within the MMA rulebook, it's always power over volume. I mean, damage over volume. So it's how much damage is it to your opponent over, you know, the volume of the strikes, which for the most, most for the most part is true, but it can't be a huge disparity in volume over damage, and just and just accept the fact that oh you know the person got damaged late in the round, even though the volume wasn't there, we're gonna give it to him because they landed the biggest significant strike of the round. I don't think that's the case. So I watched it a second time and I gave it to Arlovski. 
And again, people might disagree with me, which is perfectly fine. If he gave it to Collier, cool. It was a close fight. It was an entertaining fight. Um, you could possibly argue it was the most entertaining fight of the card. But it's just a rule going forward for all you guys listening. If there is a close fight, you should definitely watch it again. I would say it's it's a 50-50 chance that I might change their mind as far as who wins, who loses. If it's a very close fight, if I thought someone got robbed. So you, you, should, you should always watch this fight over again before you claim robbery. MMA community claims robbery for literally anything nowadays. So I, I doubt it's going to go in most people's ear and not the other. But I'm going to go into the MMA news and drama that we got rolled out for this week. So Romanoff, he calls out John Jones. He says uh, John Jones moved the heavyweight, so he'll be his welcome back. In case you don't know, Romanoff's a guy who was able to get a submission victory and got his brown belt. Which, kudos to him for getting his brown belt. And I love the fact that they gave him the brown belt and he got the submission victory. We've seen this so many times where someone would win and not by submission. And the coaches give him their black belt and etc. etc. And Kanism, it doesn't really make any sense. It's like, oh, you didn't win by submission. You didn't, you know, try to... <laughs> you didn't try to, you know, go for any submissions. And you're just, you're getting gifted the black belt. Granted, obviously, we know they've earned a black belt well before that fight even started. They just thought it would be a good occasion to give it if there was a victory. So, I get it. But I think, you know, awarding someone the brown belt after they got a submission victory just makes it that much sweeter. And honestly, it makes it that, it makes most sense. As far as you getting John Jones fight, bro, you know you're not getting you you know you're not getting that fight. Here's the thing, right? As far as callouts go, uh, for callouts, it should be you should be reaching for the stars, but still within a realistic expectation and you know ranking wise and that kind of stuff. You can't be. Chael Sonnen coming off like a three-fight win streak calling out the champ. Like, it doesn't make sense. You know you're not going to get that fight, bro. And I'm just using him as an example. But, you know, it, it, you, you know you're not going to get that fight. Romanov, you know you're not going to get that fight. You know the UFC is not going to give you that fight. Why are you even calling out for it? You wasted a call out. And I, do, I also think that you know, after you win a fight, you don't always have to call someone out. You could always say, oh, whoever is ranked above me, fuck it, give it to me. Or whoever is available, fuck it, I don't care, give it to me. You don't always have to call a specific person out and make it a fucking WWE promo. You don't have to do that all the time. But if you are going to do it, you should call someone within appropriate rank and you should reach. You should definitely do some reaching. You should call out, here's how I think a call out should be, right? You call someone out that fight-wise makes sense for Sean Shelby and for Dana White to book. So you guys are both on a clear path, both on a win streak, etc. Your paths are going within that direction already. So you should call a person out. That, and you should call out someone who you have the technical advantage of 
So if you're a wrestler, bro, fucking call out a striker. If you're a, a, a fucking dude from Dagestan, bro, call out a striker. Like, oh, I want this person next. So it makes sense. And of course, it has to make sense. Rake and Raj. You can't be calling out the champ when you've only been in UFC two fights. So call out someone who makes sense ranking-wise and who you personally feel you can beat. That's the point. Why you? Why would I call someone out who is ranked far beyond me and who is far beyond who I fought competition level because I, I want to be cool and, and call out the best, bro? That doesn't make any. You're wasting a call. You're wasting your call out. You wasted. You just wasted it. You squandered it. Call out someone with an appropriate rank and someone who you personally feel you can beat. That's what I would do. But I feel like, you know. Especially, you know, the the uh, commentators and, and, and Joe Rogan and, and Dan Cormier and uh, Michael Bisping, who go and interview the fighters afterwards after the fight, they kind of really do an emphasis on having them do a call out and pick someone in particular to call out. I don't agree with that. Someone just wants to say, "I'll fight whoever, fight whoever, cool." But I'm just saying, if you're gonna do it, bro, you you sh- you need to be strategic about it. You can't just be wasting your one chance. So that was my mindset there. Obviously, Dana White's not going to give you John Jones. Then we have Dan Hooker going back to 155. He said he's just not going to make that 145 cut anymore. Here's the thing. Eugene Behrman told you not to make the cut in general. He said don't make the cut. He said I don't like Hooker going to 145. We No one really liked Hooker going to 145. His frame is just too long and too big to, to, to cut that weight, man. Especially at the at the age that he's in, all the damage that he's taking. You can't sit there and cut to 155 and deplemish your body and think you're going to succeed. His coach knew that. Hooker did it anyway. And it didn't fare well for him. So he's going back up to 155. Here's the thing. The issue is not 145. The issue is not 155. Bro, the issue is you. The issue is you, and I mean that, you know, completely respectfully. The, the issue with Hooker is, one, he got into some wars. He got into some very big fights. I honestly think we saw the best of Hooker in the Poirier fight. I think that was the best we're ever going to see of Hooker. I thought he gave everything he had that day, and it was a very, very, very good fight. But I don't think we'll ever see anything better from Hooker. I'm going to be honest with you. And since then, yeah, he had some big losses. The Chandler loss. The Makachev loss. But he takes fights too quickly. That's his thing. He, he He's kind of going to Cerrone route where he's bouncing between fights and taking fights quickly. I guarantee you he, take, he takes a fight in the next three months. When he just got TKO'd two months ago. That's the issue. That is the issue. You stop taking short notice fights. Stop, you know, basically fighting whoever. You need to take some time off, develop your game more, and come back, you know, fully, fully healed. Oh, I mean, you're never going to be fully healed because most fighters that come into fights with the undisclosed injuries. But you know what I mean. Brain, tra- brain trauma wise, healed. And prepared for the next fight. You shouldn't be you know, taking fights on short notice. For instance, the dude beat Nasparat Hasparat. Uh, utilize his ground game. And utilize his wrestling. 
which he did an amazing job at. And I love the fact he was able to reform himself and, and, and rebrand himself and to have that extra skill set in his pocket. And then he says, you know what? I'm going to fight Islam short notice. Fucking why, bro? Why? Why are you going to do that? It doesn't make any sense. That's the issue. That's the issue he's facing. It's not 145. It's 155. The issue is him. So he needs to solve that. He needs to take that coaching from his coaches. Behrman probably told him this already. He's not listening. So I only say that because Behrman is an extremely smart guy. Honestly, if I was a UFC fighter, I would go to I would train at City Kickboxing just to learn from Eugene Behrman. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. But you can't, you know, the issue is you, man. So you have to figure that shit out. And you shouldn't be taking a fight anytime soon after being TKO'd in the first. So moving on from there, we have... Moving on from there, Shemaev's coaches say Kobe is the next step. I think we all figured that. To be honest with you, I think we all knew, you know, after you beat, I don't think he beat Gilbert Burns. Not going to get into that because I could ramble about that for 20 whole minutes. So I'm not going to get into it. But, of course, after you beat the number three, it's only up from there. Obviously. Only up from there. So he says the next step is Gilbert Burns. I mean, the next step is Kobe Covington. Sorry. Here's the issue. Shemaev in his last fight... And not his fight IQ was just not there, man. It was not there. He fought recklessly. He fought extremely recklessly. It got to the point where his coaches are screaming, I'm like, bro, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you're not sticking to the game plan. Granted, he was able to, from the judge's eyes, he was able to beat Gilbert Burns in that way, which is impressive of its own. Don't get me wrong, the kid has a lot of potential. A lot, a lot of potential. He would definitely be champion one day, in my opinion. But if you think you're gonna go in there and fight Gilbert Burns the same way you fight the same way you fight Kobe Covington, you're gonna lose. You're gonna thoroughly lose. You're not gonna beat him that way. I'm gonna be honest with you. Honestly, where Shamayev is right now in his development in a five-round fight, I don't see him being Kobe, and I don't see him being Usman. I'm going to keep it real with you. I'm going to keep it 100% real with you. I think if he fought Kobe right now, I think he might win round one. He might win round two. He might, you know, drop Kobe, which Kobe, he, he, he gets dropped. He comes right back up every single time and puts a hurting on you. Every single time he gets dropped, he comes back and, and performs even better. But I think... Kobe will weather the storm and through volume wise really put it on Shamayev giving us some problems. And I think as far as Kamaru Usman, if Shamayev is gonna fight Usman that that recklessly with Usman's power, it won't be a good night for Shamayev. So I'm not saying that he will fight those opponents that way. I'm saying as far as if he comes in with that mindset that he's just gonna put people away at, at the you know the very upper echelons of the game. I think he's sorely mistaken, man. So I personally, if I was his coach, I'd be like, yo, we should maybe not fight Kobe right now. I would say we should fight someone to fit in the top 10. Let's maybe not fight Kobe. I would have said, let's fight Neil Magny. 
Because Neil Mag before even before even fighting Burns, I would have fought Magny. Because Magny is someone with a lot of experience, and skill set wise, Shamayev has the advantage over Magny. So I would have said let's fight Magny first, then let's go on to Burns, then let's go on to Uz- I mean, then let's go on to Kobe or Leon Edwards, etc., etc., etc. That's what I personally would have done. Or you can have Shamayev fight, you know, someone who is a very proficient striker who has good wrestling, but is halfway out the door like a Stephen Stephen Thompson. But they 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 feed him to the wolves, man. Well, not necessarily they feed him to the wolves. I guarantee a lot of those dudes turn down contracts to fight Shamayev. But he got this major jump in competition, and it's only up from here. And I th- can he do it? I think he can. I think he has the overall talent and skill set to be champion one day. But from what I've seen in his last fight, as far as overall fight IQ wise, and I, I just don't see him beating Kobe or Usman. And if I was his coach, I'd be begging to have him fight someone who in the top 10, but not those two quite yet because we're not ready there. But that's my personal opinion. But we all know Dana White. He's on this Shamayev hype train. He wants to make as much money as possible. Now we have a fight announcement. Sarogon against Taito Ivasa. Fuck. This is such a bad fight for Taito Ivasa. Why did Dushui like that? This is a horrible fight for him. This is so bad. This is the... Unpa- Listen... I count, I've counted Taito Ivasa out his entire career. I'm going to keep it 100 with you. Well, not his entire career. I'm lying. I have to say I didn't expect much from his career. I always thought he'll be a fun fighter. He'll get his wins. He'll get his losses. He'll get his wins. He'll do the shoey. It'll be a fun time. People would lose their fucking shit and we'll move on, right? But I... <laughs> This is such a bad matchup for him, man. Horrible matchup. Granted, I did expect him to beat Derek Lewis the way he did, but Sarogon's a whole other animal, bro. Was Sarogon's effective striking? Sarogon <sighs> is going to dance around Taito Ivasa for five rounds and just put it on him. Striking-wise, just put it on him. The only way Taito Ivasa can win this fight is if he's able to do literally what he did to Derek Lewis, he has to replicate that exact same result. He has to grapple. He has to grapple Derek Lewis. I mean, excuse me. He has to grapple Saragon. And he has to land a devastating elbow or punch a sword source within that grappling position and get a clean shot. It's the only way he's beating Saragon. Literally the only way he's beating Saragon. Besides that, he's, he, I don't see him winning. I don't see him winning. Striking is just not there. Striking Sirogan is levels above Taito Ivasa. And granted, does Sirogan does have the power of Taito Ivasa? No, but that volume will catch up to you. Here's the thing. Even if someone is a heavyweight who don't necessarily has, you know, one punch knockout power, it's still a heavyweight hitting you eventually you're going to get hit with a lot of those shots and it's going to put you away. That's exactly what Cyril got to Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis wasn't able to land that effective clean shot 
and that volume got to him eventually. So I do think Saragon would do that to Taito Ibasa. I don't think Taito Ibasa has the grappling prowess or the wrestling prowess to give Saragon a problem. But then again, this is heavyweight. This is heavyweight. It only takes one shot. But uh, I think this is a fucking horrible matchup for Taito Ibasa. And then we have Aspinall against Curtis Blades. Now this is... I, I would say a more even fight. I would say I'm, I'm by far more excited about this fight than I am about the other fight. And that's because as far as skill set wise, great, obviously when it comes to just pure wrestling, Curtis Blades is the best at division. When it comes to just straight up wrestling, Curtis Blades is by far the best in that division. And look who's the only people to beat Curtis Blades. The only people to beat Curtis Blades are Derek Lewis and Francis Nagano. Curtis Blades' resume is actually extremely impressive. It, Curtis Blades is one of those fighters that in a different time, he would have been champion. Same thing with Alexander Gustafson. At a different time, Curtis Blades would have been champion. If Stipe or Francis Zagano wasn't you know, in this era, I think Curtis Blades would have been champion. I don't know if he would have hold the title. I think he would have been champion, though. So you have Tom, a- so Tom Arsenal fighting Curtis Blades. This is a true test. To see if Tom Tom Arsenal is championship caliber worthy. The only people who've beaten Curtis Blades are people who are champions or fought for the title. So if he's able to get past Curtis Blades, he proves himself worthy of title contention or being up there from that within the upper the upper upper echelon of the division. Now, can he get past it? That's the thing. Granted. Tom Aspinall has a very, 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 very good ground game for a heavyweight, which is which is fairly rare. He's kind of like the new era of Frank Mir, <laughs> in my opinion. But uh, even with the curly hair, it kind of looks like him. But he has a very good ground game, great striking, and he does have some good wrestling of his own. He has some very good wrestling of his own. He's not out-wrestling Curtis Blades, though. Let's be clear here. Not out-wrestling Curtis Blades. And Curtis Blades is... He has a chip on his shoulder, man. He, he feels that people counted him out and people overlooked him. He just TKO'd his last opponent. So this particular fight, I'm far more excited for than the Sirogan and Taito Ivasa fight. I think this particular fight is more even in that regard. And I would say the stakes are higher as well. So I want to get into the UFC 274 predictions. I'm only going to be going going to be going over the top three fights. So the main event, the co-main event, and the third fight in the card. Which is we have Charles Oliveira against Justin Gaethje for the main event, co-main event, Rose against Carla, and the uh, third foot the third fight in the card is Chandler Ferguson. Now, but before I even get into this fight, one, that fucking card looks juicy. I don't. Here's the thing. I don't like paying Dana White. I don't like it. I don't like coughing up seventy five dollars for a pay per view. It's fucking ridiculous. There's no reason why a pay per view costs seventy five dollars. What? And America's the only country who fucking does this thing too. In in UK, it's twenty bucks. I don't mind paying twenty bucks, but seventy five, bro. God damn. You know how expensive it is to be a fucking MMA fan? It's the most expensive. It's the most expensive. Sport to, sport to follow by far 
hand over fist by a country mile. I don't like coughing up 75 bucks straight up. I don't want to give Dana White that satisfaction. I'm not going to stream it because it's fucked up to the fighters and I don't feel like fucking Dana White and the FBI coming after me with <laughs> his claims of, cut, of uh, shutting down streamers and shit. But this fight, this fight card is well worth 75 bucks. I would say fuck it. I'd pay 100 for it. I would gladly pay $100 for this fight card. This is a good card, man. This is a great fucking card. From top to bottom. Early, early prelims are amazing. My wife is fighting on that card. Tracy Cortez. She doesn't know she's my wife yet. She will. She's fucking day in that handsome fuck, Brian Ortega. Looks better with long hair than, you know, short hair. But that's, I don't give a fuck. But that's beyond the point. Early prelims are amazing. The prelims alone couldn't be a UFC fight night. That's how good the prelims are. Those prelims are fucking bomb. And the main card is terrific. So I'm going to go over my predictions for UFC 274. I call these the Petri pick, the Petri predictions. Uh-huh. So I'm going to start off with the third fight up, which is Chandler and Ferguson. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I, I think Ferguson is finished. I think this is the first time we're going to see Ferguson get finished. And here's why I think that way. To my knowledge, this is the this is a three-round fight. To my knowledge, as far as what I know now, could be wrong. I shouldn't be wrong. This is a three-round fight. Generally, Tony excels at five-round fights. Usually all the fights Tony has are five-round fights. He is he prides himself on taking damage and his stamina. Now, within a three-round fight, as far as stamina-wise, we've seen Chandler fight at a ridiculous pace in a three-round fight. And that was the Gaethje fight. Chandler took big shots in that fight. Was able to take big shots and keep going. And had, you know, had... Uh, Justin Gaethje doing the fucking stanky leg all over the octagon. The man was doing a chicken walk all over the octagon multiple times. He almost put Gaethje away multiple times. So Chandler has some serious, serious, serious knockout power in his hands. And Tony Ferguson does not block. Man has the worst fucking defense of all time. And he got away with it for years. That's the thing. He got away with having terrible defense because he would literally just take damage and keep coming after you. His game plan was, you're going to keep throwing at me. You're going to hit me. You're going to clip me. I'm not going to stop coming after you, though. I'm just going to keep punching you, keep kicking you, keep throwing elbows until until you're, you're done. Which worked out for him for literally years. But, dude, father time waits for no one. Father time catches up with everyone. You can't be young forever. This is a young man's game. MMA is a young man's game, especially in this division. Uh, at the lighter weights, 155, 145, 135, above the age of 35, you're old. So, yeah. and Tony's up there in age, man. And Tony's has taken some beatings in his last fight, last fights with Justin Gaethje, with Bariush and with Oliveira. So you have Chandler's 
power in a three-round fight where Tony Stamina wouldn't really come to play too much, dude, it's going to be a bad night for Tony, man. If this was Tony three years ago, three, four years ago, I would say Tony all day. I would say Tony all day. Easily. But right now in Tony's you know stage of his development, bro, this is not a good fight for him, man. I'd say if he doesn't get finished, it's a unanimous decision victory for Chandler. I say if Tony doesn't get finished in a second, it's a unanimous decision victory for Chandler. I think Chandler is easily going to win round one. I think he's going to fucking put it on Tony and possibly nearly put him away. I think in round two, Chandler is going to put it on Tony. I think round three, if it goes to round three, Tony would win. That's what I think. I think Tony win the last round if it goes to round three, but I think overall Chandler win the fight. And I want Tony to retire. I'll be honest with you. I want Tony to retire. I don't want to see Tony fight anymore, man. He's, he's taken three bad losses in a row. He's up there in age. You know, he had a fucking terrific run. He said 100% be in the UFC Hall of Fame. I know for 100% he will be in the UFC Hall of Fame. He's a fan favorite. Everyone loves him. He's weird as ever-loving shit. But it's time it, It's time for him to retire, man. So I hope after this fight, win or lose, he retires. I don't want to see him continuously taking these damage. Because he had a lot of bad fights. And I can tell, you know, CTE is, is knocking on his door. Now we're going to get into Rose and Carla Esposa. This is the second time they're fighting. The first time they fought was back in 2014. Carla won that time. A lot of people are... Basically, every single person I've seen so far within the MMA community is picking Rose. And I'll be real with you. I don't know why. I don't know why they're picking Rose. And I, I say that respectfully. Because... Look at Rose's last fight, right? Rose, in general, her weakness has always been wrestling. Usually, when there's a high-level striker, the weakness is wrestling. But Wheelie Zhang, who was never known for wrestling, she was known as a brawler. She was always known as a brawler. She was known as someone who's going to take punishment and dish it out even more of her knockout power. And in that second fight... She out-wrestled Rose. And she was never known as a wrestler. She just basically started to get into wrestling after training with Cejudo for a year's time. So you had someone who didn't have a background in wrestling or grappling at all and was able to take you down thoroughly. First of all, Zhang won that fight 100%. If you don't believe it, rewatch it. After the first time watching it, I knew Zhang won. So I'm not even getting into there because when it comes to fight cards in, in, in Texas, it's always a fucking shit show. But you had someone who this background is not in wrestling dominate you as far as wrestling-wise and take it to the ground at ease. Imagine someone with Carla Esparza where her whole game is wrestling. That's her whole thing, man, is wrestling. Her striking has improved too. Don't get me wrong. Her striking has improved. Granted, she shouldn't use her striking against Rose at all. You should not do that. If Carla goes in there and tries to strike with Rose, she's going to get put out. She's 100% going to get put out. 
But if Carla has the mindset of, yo, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to take you down at will, Carla's going to win. 100% Carla's going to win. I see Carla winning by unanimous decision. I think she'll win if it goes to decision three, four out of the five rounds. Possibly, you know, uh, three, four, and five, or two, three, and five, etc. Or she would submit Rose. That's how I see the fight going. I don't see Rose win this fight. I think, you know, styles make matchups, and I think this is a terrible matchup stylistically for Rose. And we've seen how it played out already. Granted, it wouldn't go... I, generally, when two people meet for a second time, it never goes the way the first one did. So I'm not expected to go the way the first one did necessarily, but I do think as far as what Rose's weakness is, it's definitely wrestling and Carla's the best wrestler in that division. So I definitely give it to Carla. I think a lot of people are overlooking her. I, I guarantee you she's coming, she's gonna be coming to the fight as the betting underdog. If you're a betting man, which I am not, you should bet on Carla. You don't have to bet the whole house. Throw a hundred bucks at her. Uh, it, it it wouldn't be a bad bet. It's probably the best bet of the night. And then we have Charles Oliveira against Justin Gaethje. This is the most tricky one, man. This one is very, 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 very tricky. Because you have someone who is extremely well-rounded in Charles Oliveira. Within that entire division, Charles is the most well-rounded. Charles has great takedowns, great grappling... The man is the fucking best submission specialist in UFC history. Has the most submission wins in UFC history. Has great striking. We've seen him. He's able to take a punch and keep going. So, and he has a championship mentality. He's the most well-rounded fighter in that division. And we're having him fight Justin Gaethje, who... <sighs> Here's how it's going to go. Now, at range, if Charles Oliveira fights at Gaethje's range, Charlie would get light up. He would get lit up. He would definitely get lit up. With all the leg kicks and with all the hooks that Gaethje throws at range, it's going to be a hard night for Oliveira, man. It will be a very, very, very tough night for Oliveira. That's if he fights at range. If he fights at Gaethje's range, it's not going to be a good night for him. But here's the thing. Charlie can take a punch, which you don't want to be taking too many shots from Gaethje. doesn't matter how good your chin is. You should not be taking too many shots from Gaethje. What Oliveira needs to do is he needs... Oliveira striking is the best when he's fighting within his range, which is close quarters. So if he's fighting within a close, you know... Boxing, boxing kind of range, he excels it there because he mixes up his striking so beautifully. There's no one who fights within that range, that close pocket range, better than Oliveira because he truly mixes it up. He'll throw an elbow, he'll throw a knee, he'll throw punches, he, he throws kicks. Within that range, he's amazing. So if he's going to beat Gaethje, outstrike Gaethje, he has to do it within that range. What the mindset should be is you're going to have to grapple Gaethje. You shouldn't wrestle Gaethje. Your mindset should be going to the cage, grappling against the cage, and grabbing his back. We've seen Gaethje's chink in his armor, which is if you're able to get Gaethje to the ground, 
he's basically a fish out of water. He even admitted himself as far as, you know, grappling and that kind of stuff. He never really trained jiu-jitsu as much because in, in you know, his, his career as far as uh, high school and in college, his wrestling was defensive wrestling. So if anyone was to try to take him down, he was stuffed to take down because his specialty was in that specific field. So he was able to not fear to take down and work on his striking and become an effective striker that way. But if you're, as we've seen what Khabib was able to do to Gaethje, if you're able to take him down, then he's a fish out of water. So Oliveira's mindset needs to be to grapple Gaethje to the point where he was able to wear him down, either get him to the ground, which would be a fucking lot harder said and done, or take his back. I see Oliveira winning round three rear naked choke. Round three, round four, rear naked choke. I think if in that round, it has to win by finish. I think if it goes unanimous decision, I think Oliveira loses. If it's unanimous decision, I think Oliveira loses. If Oliveira is going to win, it's going to have to be a finish. And it's going to have to be within that way. I don't see Oliveira putting Gaethje away. I'm not going to say no one was able to do it. You're going to have to grapple him. Get him against the cage, take either take him down or grab his back. That's the only path to victory for Oliveira that I personally know of. But it's a whole other debate now. Which if Oliver if Oliver wins the fight, is Oliver the new go to lightweight? Because he would have tied uh Khabib's record in lightweight and arguably has a better resume. But uh Bro, that's a whole other topic for conversation there. I'm really not going to get to it. We're already an hour in. But that was the first episode of our six MMA talk with me, your boy, Noah Petrie. Again, this will be dropping every single Monday. This was going to be dropping a Wednesday. But next week, it will be dropping a Monday going forward. And I hope you guys had a great time. Bye.